Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. Well, thank you guys, and we are excited to be here this morning. Uh, My wife Gretchen and I and our youngest Jackson, who I don't see any billowing smoke coming from the kids' area, so that's a plus. Uh, We're excited (laughs) about that. Uh, But it is fun to be in a place where there is that energy of new where you're building something, you are doing something that is unique. And I want to let you know, we've been cheering you guys on from Lexington for a little while now. Uh, I get excited every time Pastor Michael and I talk and he tells me something new that's happening or somebody else that gave their life to Christ or some other goal that you have set and you're meeting it. You are in process. You are on the way. You are running after God's will, not only for this church, but you are running after people in your community that need to know Jesus. And that is awesome. So realize that you all have a couple of big fans of yours that live just up the road uh, in Fayette County. Uh, We're excited for what God is doing and what he is going to do. And I want you to understand as much as if you're here and like this is, this is your home and kind of what you know about church is anchored here, you all are kind of an anomaly. Like I want you to know you're, you're unique. Uh, I'm a preacher's kid, so I'm 51, which means I've been in church now 51 years and a little over nine months, because uh, that's just how it works, right? And I was in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and anything that was happening in between. Uh, and I've been a pastor now going on 22 years, which means I'm really clinically insane. But the idea uh, that uh, I've consulted for a few years and, and I, I have the, the privilege, really, of just getting to know guys and kind of walking into a context and trying to be an encouragement wherever I can. But I want you to understand that the things that God is doing here are unique. Like, you are busting the curve in a good way. Uh, God is blessing in ways that other pastors and other churches, they pray for God's blessing on them the way God has been blessing you and the way that I believe he's going to continue to. So please understand that God is up to something. If you didn't already know that, like I'm I'm hopefully telling you something you already know, but if you didn't already know that, just know that now. Let me confirm it, that God is doing something amazing and unique, and I believe he's got a lot more in store. So continue to enjoy it, right? That's not against the rules. Like you can follow Jesus and have a lot of fun. So continue to enjoy it. Continue to encourage each other and just love on each other while you're doing life together. And find other people in your community that are near to you but far from God. And they need to know Jesus in a life-changing, transformational way. And so we are really uh, excited. I consider it just an honor to be here with you guys. And we're, we're going to talk this morning for just a, a few hours, I mean minutes, um, It may seem like hours by the time I'm done, I'm not sure. But uh, we're going to talk for just a few minutes on on just this idea of finish what you start. Finish what you start. Uh, And it's a simple concept, and it may be one that you remember being taught from when you were a little kid. Uh, I remember one of the simplest applications of that in my life was uh, around the dinner table. right? Like I I would be encouraged by my mom, mostly sometimes dad, but uh, make sure you clean your plate. Right? You may have heard 
the, the same kind of encouragement. And anytime that I might have been just a little bit reluctant, you know, my mom would, the phrase that, that uh, I heard a lot growing up was about starving kids in China and how they would want, the, and I'm just, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm trying to process that in my, in my like five and six and seven year old brain thinking, mom, I'm not sure that the Chinese like Brussels sprouts. I don't know that, that anybody should, right? Like, I don't know if God really even approves of that. But, uh, but there are some things, I guess, that, you know, when you start, you should probably finish um, you know, brushing your teeth you know, comes to mind, uh, maybe because I'm married to a dentist. So I at least have one person in the room that would agree, you should probably finish that if you start it. Uh, mowing, mowing your yard, that's probably one of those. Once you get going, you might as well just go ahead and, and finish up. A haircut comes to mind, like that would be you know, something, hey, we're gonna go ahead and kind of round this out, right? Um, you know, that, that's, that's probably a, a good thing. Shaving uh, is another that just kind of uh, comes to mind as something if you start it, you should probably finish. Uh, getting dressed in the morning seems like a good one. Just we'll include that on the list, especially going to church. I want to thank all of you uh, for, for taking care of that today. Uh, so you've already kind of put into practical application the, the biblical truth that we're really going to dive deeply into here in just a minute. Uh, I, I heard one growing up a lot with uh, uh, sports were big uh, for me in my experience. They've been big in our family. And so if we ever started a, you know, an athletic competition, if we started a season, Dad was like, you're finishing. You started, you're going to finish unless it's volleyball. Pastor Michael, uh, you should probably not. He said, "Is that too soon? Maybe too soon." Sorry, sorry about that. But uh, but there is, I found there is one exception to that, and that's T-ball, where where our five-year-old is involved. Uh, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and give him a complete pass because we, we we started out at T-ball, and and Jackson's one of those kids like he's he's five. So, you know, five-year-olds have the attention span of a highly caffeinated mosquito, right? They're just all over the place. And so Jackson's like out there, and they put him like kind of as a midfielder because they create positions for kids in T-ball, right? So you just kind of go over here, and you govern that, that patch of grass. And so Jackson's like, well, this is lawn maintenance time. So he's picking up grass. Uh, he was doing some dirt sculpture at one point. And, and I'm sitting there, I look at Gretchen at one point, I'm going, did, like, did we pay for this? Like, is there, was there a fee that was involved in this ridiculous mess? And so I uh, understand for us, like, we're, we're confused if our kids aren't involved in some kind of sport where they're punching other kids. Because uh, our, our, our oldest, we've got a 26-year-old who's a professional boxer. We've got a 22-year-old who's a highly decorated amateur boxer that became a firefighter. And then we've got Jackson who's intent on taking over the world, just not through T-ball. And so it's like, it's confusing to us if our child is not trying to punch your child in Jesus' name. Uh, and so like when we got to T-ball, we had like three games left. And I asked Jackson, I was like, hey, buddy, you ready for T-ball this week? And he's like, no. And I'm going, yes, thank you, Jesus. And so, so you should start and finish any athletic competition unless you have a, 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 an ADHD five-year-old and then T-ball's up for grabs, okay? That's just going to be the one loophole that I'm going to give you today. The rest of it, we should probably finish whatever we start when it comes to at least following Jesus because understand this, God never starts something he doesn't intend to finish. He will never start something that he doesn't intend to finish. And we're going to look today here in just a minute in a book that, that I like and maybe one you're familiar with or this might be new to you, it's the book of Philippians. It's a book in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote this book as God inspired him uh, to write this. And it's a very interesting book and it's a, it's a fun book. It's, it's also one that's not very long, which, which I enjoy. If you're new to reading the Bible and you started like in Leviticus, let me just ask you to go ahead and stop. Uh, unless God said do that. And maybe try Philippians, okay? It's just four chapters. It's a little maybe less confusing and, and has uh, fewer rules and regulations. But Philippians 
is a fun book that Paul wrote to a very special group of people. And so we'll kind of jump in with the first couple of verses real quick in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what you'll find, this is just kind of how Paul begins a lot of his letters. He'll have just a brief introduction. He'll give a brief greeting. And what you're going to find is some of the language that Paul uses when he's writing to, to the Philippians is special because they've got a special relationship. In fact, one of the themes in this book is the joy of the Lord. Uh, you'll find that they're kind of anchored together in a very unique and tangible way. Uh, the, the church at Philippi is kind of interesting that Paul, if you, if you know anything about him, keep in mind, Paul did not like the church before he encountered Jesus. Paul was very steeped in Jewish tradition. He knew the Jewish law very well. He was highly educated. He, he was a guy that actually, he was opposed to the church. But God had other plans. See, God had started something in Paul, and Paul thought it was heading in one direction. But God's like, no, I'm going to see it through in another way. And so when Paul met Jesus, his life radically changed. And that's kind of God's idea for all of us, right? That when we meet Jesus, we are not the same anymore. And Paul found himself in trouble a lot of times because he became a follower of Jesus, more so than before he started following Jesus. Paul and his community was very well respected and, and even in some communities kind of feared a little bit. But then he met Jesus and everything changed. And the same zeal and passion that he had gone against the church, he wound up going for the church and for Jesus and he winds up a lot of time in prison. And because he was in areas that was under Roman control, a lot of his guards and a lot of the people that kept him in chains were Roman. Well, Philippi is a place that was basically a bunch of retired Roman centurions. There were a lot of people that served Rome in a military capacity that had settled here and this is a church that Paul now is very closely connected with. And he's writing a letter that God is inspiring him to write truth to these people. It's amazing to me even how this scene is set. If you're familiar at all with the book of Acts and Acts chapter 16, Paul finds himself in prison. He and a guy named Silas, they're in prison and it's kind of middle of the night. And they just determined that instead of being upset about the whole thing, they are going to pray and praise God. What you find if you read that passage, that the, the prison starts to shake. And the prison door busts loose. It busts open. And according to tradition, that if a prisoner escaped, then the jailer would be killed as a result. If the prisoner you were guarding got loose, your life would be forfeited. And so this jailer who comes in, and we know this jailer as the Philippian jailer. He comes in and he finds that Paul and Silas are like, hey, we're still here, man. And ultimately, the end of that conversation turns into the Philippian jailer and his entire family coming to faith in Christ and being a part of what would be the church at Philippi, that a letter was written called Philippians to these people. It's amazing everything that is going on here as Paul even begins this letter, all that's behind it. 
But Paul gives the greeting and, and then he continues and he kind of illustrates through the next couple of verses the special nature of their relationship. In verse 3 in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, or well, what, let's hold on, verse 5. We're getting into verse 6, getting a little ahead of myself. Hang on there. Getting excited about this. It's, this is exciting stuff. Uh, the Bible is something that is worth getting passionate about and people that need this beautiful truth. Paul loved the Philippians, and he gives the reason why in the verses that we just read. Because they stood shoulder to shoulder, to coin a phrase or to use that phrase, sharing the gospel. They, in many ways, were gospel pioneers. Paul would go into places where the gospel was not prominent. And he would share the truth about Jesus with people who needed to know Jesus. And these Philippians, who were now believers and followers of Jesus, they were doing the same thing with him. And Paul is saying, you know what, guys? When I think about you all, it just makes me happy. Like, I think about you and I smile because I know what we've been through together. I know that we have shared the experience of telling people about Jesus. We have shared the experience of loving people in Jesus' name. And the beautiful thing about that and how it applies in places like this, in churches like Summit View, and in people like you, is that this is kind of who you are. Like, you are gospel pioneers, you are advancing the truth of Jesus Christ in places in Estill County that don't know Jesus. Now, you can have some pushback and be like, dude, come on, we're, we're in the United States of America. We're in the state of Kentucky. We're in a place where you can have information at your fingertips. Literally, certainly people have heard about Jesus in our area. Well, they may have. But as long as you have places and pockets in this community where people haven't given their lives to Jesus... And there are other people that, that claim to be followers of Jesus that are not willing to go there. And God has called you to go there. You are advancing the gospel. You are pioneers. You are on the front lines. You are going out and loving people in situations that other people aren't going to step into. Talking with, with our, our son, I mentioned, who's a, a firefighter. And we've been talking. He just graduated from the academy. He's serving in Frankfurt. And, he, and he, when he comes home off a shift, he's got all these new stories because they're new to him. And he's talking about, Dad, we had this call, and Mom, we did that, and we did all these kinds of things. And you can just see his eyes, and they're lighting up in a good way. And, and I was talking with him yesterday, and I said, well, son, you know, the amazing thing about it is the more these things you experience, just keep in mind, you're the person, the, the guys and gals that are there with you, y'all are walking into places that the rest of us run from. Y'all are stepping into spaces that we don't want to go to, and we're grateful. I'm grateful. It's, it's probably changed my wife's prayer life just a little bit anytime she you know, sees a fire truck go by or hears a siren. But that's, that's who Paul was, and that's who the church at Philippi, that's who they were, and that's who you are. That's who we are, that we're going into places where other people won't go, where other people haven't gone where the gospel needs to be preached, where it needs to be taught, where people need to be loved in Jesus' name. 
And you know, sometimes the, the reason I think that Paul, even maybe one of the reasons that he gets so excited about the Philippians and thinking about what they do together is that one of the phrases we use around the gathering place, especially when we'll have our, our launch lead team together, is we'll try to make this an encouragement, but a reminder, hey guys, if the people that we're praying for come, if the people that we are begging God for show up, and not just to a meeting, I don't mean that, even though that's certainly a part of it, but if they show up in terms of we get to connect with them and get to share part of our lives together, don't forget that if those people show up and they're not just like the, the domesticated and clean church people, I don't know what kind of church people you might have grown up with. I grew up with church people that were always fine. You ever run into the folks who are always fine? And I'm just looking around at times, even as a kid, I'm going, this doesn't seem fine to me. Like, like there are times where I'm like, is this, this is fine, so this is fine. But if you ask them, they're just, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I'm just going, why is everybody fine? But it feels like things are falling apart. And I remind our team, look, if the people that are willing to say, if you ask them, you doing all right? And they're like, no, I'm jacked up from the word go. How about you? You know, those are the people we want. Those are the people that we're begging God for. And, and, and I'm sure there are folks that you're reaching that would fit into that category, right? That they're honest enough, and I love that. But when we run into those people, guess what ministry becomes? It becomes messy. It's not always this clean, sanitized version of church where we can have a strategy and a system. And I love strategy and I love systems, but there's not always the strategy and the system that you can just put on your situation and it all goes away. And life becomes sunshine and rainbows. When you walk side by side with people who are hurting, you share their hurt. When you walk side by side with people that have doubts and questions, you work through it with them. You share that. You shoulder that. And when you've got other folks that you're willing to stand next to and just go forward in that capacity, with that mindset, with that heartbeat, Paul is saying, Oh, man, every time I think about you all, I am so excited, I'm happy, and I thank God that we can be gospel pioneers together. That's one of the reasons we cheer you guys on from Lexington. We know you're just as crazy as we are. It's so much fun being in a room full of crazy people because you're just nuts, and I love it that you're nuts for Jesus. That's fantastic. And if you're not and you're still trying to figure this thing out, if you couldn't spell Jesus, if I spotted you four letters and you're here, you keep coming. This is the perfect place for you to be. This is a place that'll love you through your questions, that'll be able to help you deal with your doubts, that'll be with you when things fall apart and you're doing your dead level best just to try to hold it together. You just keep coming. Because if I've learned anything from Scripture, I've learned this that everyone who runs to Jesus makes it. You keep coming. But Paul is, is talking to these folks. He's just like, look, oh my goodness, we get to do this together. And we've done this together and it's beautiful and I love you. And it's an encouragement every time I think about you. And Paul, he went through some stuff. And this church loved him through it. They even sent uh, one of their own to him. Now he mentions Timothy earlier, but they sent a guy named Epaphroditus. So like if you don't have a nickname... Well, there you go. <laughs> it's an option, all right? I'm just giving you options. All right, now understand what it means is lovely or handsome. So, all right, so you haters on when I first mentioned that, you might want to rethink your strategy. Uh, but the idea of Epaphroditus rolls in just to encourage Paul. 
Because the Philippians are like, Paul, we are crazy about you too, man. We love you. We're going to send one of our own just to try to encourage you any way that we can. In fact, Epaphroditus, Paul references him in the next chapter. And he talks about how he was there and all for the sake of advancing the gospel. Epaphroditus said, man, this, if this is the role I've got right now. This is what I'm going to play. This is the role I'm going to play. And I'm going to do it just full on. And, and he got sick and he almost died. And Paul talks about he almost died for the glory of God. And he's just thanking this church. And this church is like, look, we, we love you. We sent one of our best. We sent one of our own. Paul's saying, thank you so much. You guys are amazing. You're incredible. Uh, but Paul and Epaphroditus and anybody around the situation, it wasn't like it was always easy. Again, Paul being in prison. And while Paul is in prison, other people are, are they're not saying nice stuff ab about him. Uh, there are times where people had differing opinions. And that probably, that probably doesn't happen here, so this is probably like new for you. Like, because you probably all agree on everything. Uh, and that probably happens basically in Estill County just as a general rule. Your social media is probably a lot kinder than ours in Lexington. Uh, but in Lexington, sometimes people disagree and they're willing to share it. Like, it's, it's such an odd thing. <laughs> you know, there's a buddy of mine that put something out on social media the other day that I completely agree with. He said, I miss the days when I didn't know what was on everybody's mind. Right, I'm just going, amen. But there, there are times, you know, where uh, we'll share opinions, right, nowadays. And I love social media. Don't get me wrong. It's just sometimes it can, it can be a, a little sideways, right? Because we don't just share opinions for opinion's sake. We share opinions as experts, right? Because we can get behind a device and a computer, and we're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And, and so what happened pre-social media, Paul still had haters, he still had folks that were willing to share an opinion about who he was and what he was doing. And guys would mock him and they would talk about this guy, Paul, and they would say all of these things. And he used to be this and they'd, they'd talk, talk about good things, but now he's this and they talk about all the bad things. And the beautiful thing about Paul, the reason that he loved the Philippians is that they shared his heartbeat. Here's his heartbeat in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. I love how Paul says it. With all the stuff that's going on, with all the things that people are saying about me, it doesn't matter because in verse 18 he says this, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. When advancing the gospel and being pioneers becomes the focus of our energy, the game changes. The stuff that used to bug us just doesn't bug us the same way anymore. The stuff that used to distract us, it doesn't grab our attention at all. We are so focused on people knowing Jesus that we're willing to shed everything else and take on that kind of identity, that kind of purpose, that kind of focus. Paul and the church at Philippi, they weren't perfect. But they just believed this down to their bones. That it's Jesus and nothing else. We're going to pioneer the gospel. And, and I want to come back to, to verse 6 real quick. And we'll camp out here for just, just a couple of minutes. And then, and then we'll wrap up our time. But in verse 6, Paul has given us all this understanding about this church that he loves so deeply insight into who he is and what God has given him to do. And he says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Paul says he's confident. He's not speculating. It's not up for a vote in a business meeting. He's not wondering. He says, you know what? I am confident. It's the kind of confidence that we, that we hear from the psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 3. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then will I be confident. Paul is saying, I'm confident that he who began a good work will see it to completion. His confidence was anchored in who God was and is, in his character, in his consistency, and in the fact that anytime God starts something, he will finish it. He will never start anything he does not intend to finish. And he says, to see it to completion. Now, the beauty of that is it has kind of a couple of different layers to its meaning. When Paul talks about the work that God began in you, he will see to completion. On one level, it means salvation. Like he's saying, look, when you give your life to follow Jesus, that's done. That when you are willing to understand that there's sin that separates you from God and that Jesus is the only way to bridge that gap, there's a price that comes with sin, and that price ultimately is being in a Christless eternity, separated from God forever. But Jesus paid the price that you and I could never pay on our own, that when we're willing to embrace that reality, confess our sin, take the forgiveness and grace that God gives through his son Jesus Christ, when that happens, that work is complete. Jesus put it this way on the cross, it is finished. You don't have to add anything else to it. You don't have to work to impress God uh, anymore. It's not that we could impress him so much that he'd want us on his team anyway. Uh, my wife, she, she has a, a bracelet that we actually, she got gifts for the entire family. And, and I got to return a gift to her this year. But it, they're bracelets that have spiritual significance behind them. The, the person that makes them is a believer. And, and they'll put words. What, what that person will ask is, you know, Pray over a word that you want on this bracelet and, and make it something that is specific to the individual you're giving the bracelet to. And for my wife, the word on the bracelet that I got to give her this year is complete. And part of that is because when she realized what grace was for the very first real and, and in that sense, final time for her salvation, it was through the words in a message on the famous last words of Jesus it is finished. The work is complete. And you can have that kind of assurance that when you say yes to Jesus and you come to him on his terms, it's complete. It is done. There's nothing else that you have to do. And so Paul is meaning that in this sense, but he's also saying that God has started something in you, church at Philippi. God has started, started something in you, follower of Jesus. God has started something in you, Summit View Church that he will see to completion because you have been created for a purpose. And that purpose is going to be seen to the day that it is complete. God is not going to leave anything unfinished in and through you. And you may be here and you may be going, dude, I'm not even sure what my purpose is. Again, you're in the right place. Because there are people here who will love you like crazy and help you figure that out. Paul says, I am confident of this. 
that God won't start anything that he doesn't intend to finish. Now, the beauty is that we get to cooperate with him on how that is applied on a daily basis. In fact, Paul says as much in Philippians chapter 2. He mentions it in Philippians chapter 2 in verses 12 and 13 where he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The idea that God has begun something in you that he will see to completion. And what we get to do is we just get to live that out. Every day we draw breath, we get to live in cooperation with God Almighty through his word and his Holy Spirit and live out what he started in us, what he is seeing to completion. Because did you catch what Paul said? That we get to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. like We get to live it out, but it's still through God's strength that he is over the process that he is always there for us. Jesus says that where two are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. We get to live a life where we take salvation and we go, all right, what does it look like today? God's done the work. I'm his, he's mine. Where does it get to take me today? We get the joy and the privilege of living out what God started that he ultimately completes. He said, well, why is this important? Because left to ourselves, we're really good out of the gate and not so hot down the stretch. We can start well and finish poorly. And it can be for a lot of reasons. It might be for emotion because we're emotional creatures. And we have emotion to intensify the good of life to draw us closer to God. Uh, emotions are wonderful servants and terrible masters. And if you've ever met anybody that always leads with emotion, you know that. But sometimes emotions can get us in trouble and sideways and we can start out really well. And, oh, that sounds like such a great idea. Oh man, let's do that. That's gonna be awesome. And then about three weeks in, you're looking around for those people because you can't find them anymore. Because their emotions now have died down. And, and there you go. It can happen in a lot of church situations and romantic relationships. My wife, you know, Gretchen and I, we've been married, just celebrated 28 years, and we dated for maybe not that many days in, in college. And, and after like a couple of weeks, it's like, I mean, she even quit me. Like she did twice, twice. And the first time it was because I was talking to a gal that I used to date. That doesn't feel like it should be enough to quit. Yeah, it's, that's not a good idea. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's, it's just not good. I was, I was a young, unintelligent person. But the idea is that you know, the emotion can come and go, and you can make decisions based on that. So that can get us sideways a little bit. Circumstance can do it. What's going on around us? We can start out well and finish poorly because stuff happens, right? Life just kind of creeps up. But a couple of things that I found that are kind of general enough that can kind of round out the conversation that can keep us from finishing well if we're not careful, success and failure. Success and failure. Uh, success, uh, it, can, it can cause us at times to even in the celebration finish poorly because we can start out really, really well 
And then what happens is the enemy gets in the middle of that celebration and puts a halt to the next step. In fact, I believe that Satan wants to take our mountaintop and turn it into a finish line. That there are times when what happens is when we're on a spiritual high. In a few days, a couple of weeks, or dare I say just a month or two, we can look at life and wonder who that person was back there when it seemed like everything was just going up and to the right. In my experience growing up, a really easy example would be like youth camp. I don't know if y'all are familiar with stuff like that, right? You, you send teenagers off for a while, and, and I learned later as a parent that that's just child care. You know, that's just like, you know, parents are just like, oh, we can't wait. We believe. I, wondered, I used to wonder why parents in churches where I was a part of, they just loved youth camp. Like, we believe in youth camp. I'm going, why? And as a parent, I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it now. Oh, it's a wonderful blessing for someone else to have your children for two weeks. And so the idea, you know, you go to, and yeah, it's such an amazing mountaintop experience, right? Or you go on that marriage retreat, and it's amazing, and it's wonderful, it's fantastic, and you feel success, you make decisions, and good things happen. And then the enemy just brings you back to reality in simple ways. At times, just making you think that everything's all right. And you don't have to pay attention to areas of, of temptation anymore. You don't have to worry about that website because you had that experience and you had that success. You don't have to worry uh, about that person in your life that may be pulling you further from God because you had that successful moment. You, you, you said yes to Jesus or you got baptized or you joined a church plant or you shared your faith for the first time. But remember when King David, if you're familiar with him in the Old Testament, one of the, the big bad deals that happened to him was with a gal named Bathsheba. And he committed adultery and then ultimately had her husband murdered. Keep in mind that if you look back just a few verses before Bathsheba is introduced, David, as a military king and commander, has one of the biggest successes of his military career. In fact, if you look in, in verse 19 of the chapter right before Bathsheba is introduced, it talks about all the nations around Israel feared Israel and became subject to Israel. In the very next chapter, David wound up being in a spot where he wasn't supposed to be, saw a gal that he thought looked pretty cute, and committed adultery and ultimately murder. And that brought judgment on his household for years to come. After a success... Starting out well, had a little bit of trouble down the stretch. But failure can, can be something that's just as detrimental to finishing what we start. And that might, might be for a little more obvious reason. The idea that when we fail, we tend to define ourselves by those worst decisions. By the the worst moments of our spiritual experience. I heard something the other day, and I wish I had come up with this, but it was the fire chief in the Frankfurt Fire Department who was speaking at the academy graduation. He said this, and I couldn't get away from it. He said, use your failure as a teacher and not a judge. And I thought, dude, I don't know if you know Jesus, but I'm going to say that in church. We're going to spiritualize that statement because I believe that it's all over Scripture. It's a principle that we can take even our failure and use it as a teacher and not a judge. Paul goes on in this letter to the Philippian church and he talks about his history. 
And it's not all pretty. He talks about the idea that he was kind of a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, he's like, look, all the guys that made the rules, I was the worst of them. I could make more rules and harder regulations. I was the dude leading that charge. And so if I'm going to be defined by that and my failures of following Jesus, then I'm never going to get anywhere. But what he does is he winds up kind of flipping the script just a little bit. And he puts it this way, uh, not just for what he had to do, but what he encourages the Philippians to do and what we get to do in Philippians chapter 4. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace be with you. You may have started attending church, asking some questions, just being willing to enter into a conversation. And the enemy tries to remind you of that thing you did or those things you said in your worst moments. Understand God never defines you that way. He never looks at you and sees all of the wrong. In fact, when you say yes to Jesus, he doesn't even look at you and see any of that anymore. All he sees is the righteousness of his son. And maybe this morning for you, that's just the encouragement that you need for God to do something amazing as a gospel pioneer in this community, at your school, at your job, with your neighbor, with your family member. Got a phone call out of the blue a few months ago. Being the 4th of July weekend where we get to celebrate freedom, I'm like many of you, I've got family and friends who have served so that we can be free. Men and women who have stepped in and, and said, I'll run in or fly in or walk in or, or boat in or sneak in to places that nobody else wants to go to so that we can come in places like this and worship Jesus. I got a call from a friend of mine who'd served for years in not only law enforcement, but then in the military. He served for uh, three years total in Iraq and Afghanistan. So he was on the ground there for three full years. And he was like many. There were times where things went well, but there were some times where it didn't go so well. One time in particular, he was leading his men on a mission, and he didn't know that the door was rigged. Opened it up, and the bomb went off and blew parts of him in places that parts of him weren't supposed to go. He talked about how in the moments after that, some of the Iraqi locals that they had actually gotten to know and befriended literally held him physically together so that medics could get there and save his life. We got to FaceTime with him just a few weeks ago. He and I were really good friends in high school, but like a lot of friends in high school, we just kind of lost, lost contact a little bit over the years. We hadn't completely lost contact, but we had lost some, at least with consistency. And I remember it as as we're on the phone to start this whole thing and then as we're looking at each other over a computer screen, he said, you know, 
between being over there in country and after I came back, I've lost nearly 50 brothers in arms. Nearly 50 between combat taking their life or them taking their own. And he said words that I'll never forget in my life. He said, man, right now, he said, I know that you and Gretchen, you love Jesus and you love me. And that's, that's the reason that I reached out to you. Because trust me, when we're having this conversation, I'm thinking, God, there's no seminary training that prepared me for this. I could have thumbed through every note I had taken and I wouldn't have found the bumper sticker response to give him. I wouldn't have found the tweet or the tattoo that we could just throw out there and place on his situation and let him know that everything's going to be okay. But I'll never forget the words when he said, listen, man, right now, all I'm asking is that you give me a reason not to take the long walk into the woods. And if you know what that phrase means, that's a walk that you don't come back from. It's a permanent walk where your life is ended. And I'll never forget the response that my wife gave. Like there are times where in, in, in what God has called me to be as a pastor, I'm thinking, man, I should have come up with the response in that moment because like I went to seminary for like 93 years and I should have all this down pat. And yet there's so many times where the Holy Spirit just speaks gently and powerfully, powerfully through my wife. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Jared, if nothing else, what you need to understand is that God created you on purpose and for a purpose. You are not here by accident. You are not the sum of your worst decisions. You are His. And I don't know where you are today with God. I don't know what you came in carrying today. I really don't even know know who you are or, or who you know. But I can tell you this, that I'm confident like Paul, that you are created on purpose and for a purpose. And God will never start anything he doesn't intend to finish. And that includes anything that he starts in and through Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.